today the sermon is on biblical manhood and womanhood. Now we're coming to Ephesians where it starts talking about husbands, wives, children, relationships. And as an introduction to that, I wanted to talk a little bit about men and women, uh, biblical manhood, biblical womanhood, or godly manhood, godly woman, whatever you want to call it. But what does it mean to be a man or a woman? And uh, so if you'll stand with me, we'll go ahead and read this passage in Ephesians 5. And beginning in verse 21. Ephesians 5, begin verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I, I want you to catch that because men, the, who men and women are and their roles and relations with each other have been distorted by our enemy. But that's no surprise, right? The enemy distorts everything God does. And he tries to mock it and make something up from it and... And all that. And so sometimes there are things that we're afraid of that are actually godly, but we need to reclaim for Christ in a sense. You following me? And biblical manhood, womanhood is one of those things. And, uh, and, and so when it says submitting to one another, and this will be the sermon for husbands and wives, but obviously it doesn't mean we submit the same way because we're different creatures in a sense. We are, I won't say different people. God made us to be different. Here's a shocker to people. Uh, God made us to be different, and so we have different roles and responsibilities within that. So obviously, I don't submit to my wife in the same way she submits to me. I submit to my wife in the sense of fulfilling my role that Christ has given me as a husband. I just want to lay that groundwork so you understand. And her submission to me, though it uses the word submit for her, is in a godly role that God has given her. It is not an inferiority or an inferior role. It is a different role. I have a different role than she does. She has a different role than I do. I can't do her role. She can't do mine. However, we are to submit to one another in Christ. You see, as a pastor, I submit to the will of God and to this church by being the pastor. So there are certain things. I, there's nothing I wouldn't do to help the church. But there are certain things that I should not spend all my time doing because that does not fit the role that God gave me. You following me? Can I tell you, if a bathroom needed cleaning, I'd go clean it. It doesn't bother me. Trash needs to be picked up, I'll pick it up. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think one job's more important than the other, I think, but I have a specific role God's given me. I'm making you stand up just so you can, you know, get a little exercise. If you need to sit down, I understand. Sorry. So let me go back, start reading again. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Notice. The base of that submission is reverence to Christ. You follow me? It, it is not that I'm submitting to the person. I'm submitting to Christ and fulfilling the role he gave me. Okay. Now, understanding that, here's, and we're not even going to get past 21 today, so I'm just, but I'm going to read it anyway. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast 
to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you made us who you wanted us to be. And Lord, we accept what you made us, and we are grateful. And Lord, we don't look at anyone else and say they're inferior because you made them different from us. We rejoice in how you made them. And Lord, we, we pray and support and encourage them to be what God made them to be. But Lord, help us to be who you made us to be. Lord, under your divine will, with your divine strength. For indeed, because of our sin and our rebellion, we do not have the power the strength to fulfill what you made us to be. But in Christ, who redeemed us, forgave us of our sin, and has filled us with the Holy Spirit, we now Walking in the Spirit can fulfill the role responsibilities that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Y'all can sit down if you want to. You might already be as excited as I am. I wanted to lay that groundwork. My wife, uh, it keeps me honest, and she said, why do you want to do, go this way? Why don't you just you know, go right into the Scripture? And I said, because I think this has become so confusing to people that we need to sort of lay the groundwork that men and women have specific roles that God has given us, specific things about us, and, and to kind of lay out why, why God made us the way he did. Uh, my wife and I, just uh, to get to know us a little better in case you haven't, we have three children. Uh, we have two daughters and a son in that order. Our oldest daughter, this doesn't matter, but her, her name is Savannah. Um, and her husband is Stephen. They actually live in the missions house. He is an assi- assistant pastor, associate pastor at First Baptist Church Monroe, Virginia. And they will be headed to Israel in January. That's why they're in the missions house. And, uh, and, and right now they're in the process of raising money to go. Um, and they have two children, gave us two grandchildren, uh, Annabelle Lee and Bear. And uh, his name is literally Bear. It's not a nickname. And then uh, we had another girl, and that, she was born in 89. We had another little girl in 91, and her name is Cameron Ruth. And Cameron married Dexter, and they live in Greenville, South Carolina, and invited the whole family to come there for the hurricane that needed to, and because uh, we got a lot of relatives on the coast. And, uh, and, and uh, they have two children. Uh, Kean is her oldest, uh, and he's a little boy, and little girl, um, Leila, I couldn't get it out. It just is tough. Uh, I'm telling you, when I baptized my children, I said, the first thing I'm going to ask you is your name. I tell every baptismal candidate that and I, and I, because I forget names easily. And so I said, what's your name? And they went, Dad. I said, tell me your name. So I made them tell me their name. And because uh, I would have called them like the dog's name. I mean, I just do that. So uh, anyway, and then three years later, and those two were two years apart, 1994, we had a son. Ian, Ian Stewart, uh, my middle name is Stewart, that, I'll go ahead and give away the answer to the trivia question, what's my first name, it is not Stewart, it's Randolph, Randolph Stewart, and uh, so Ian is Ian Stewart, and, uh, and, and of course, as soon as he was born, people said, do you want him to be a preacher, I said, yeah, just like Reggie White in the off season, uh, you know, that's, uh, uh, Reggie White's a good Christian, great football player, but anyhow, I, I wanted him to make a lot of money, but uh, uh, anyhow, he, he was our son, and when he was a little boy, when he was, the uh, first word he ever said was ball. Now, one because we pushed on, he just loved ball, and, and, and at 18 months old, he put a baseball and a tee and knock it uh, over the garage. It, it, it was amazing uh, to me, 
Um, I got a picture on my desk, if you want to see it, of him catching his first fish at about the same age, between 18 months and two years, using a little rod and reel. He cast it, he reeled it in, he caught the fish all by himself. But when he was a little fella, we'd say, are you a little baby? And he'd go, me big man. That's what he'd always say, me big man. Well, that kind of defines manhood right there. We all want to be a big man when we're really kind of like little kids in our head. I tell people I'm 12 inside my head, and uh, my wife said not quite that old. Um, but <laughs> so, so we have these, we, we have two, two, three children, two girls and a boy. And guess what? There are two girls and a boy. Because there's not a lot of other choices. Surgery doesn't change that. Surgery just means you are one thing pretending to be the other. Let, you know, let's just be realistic. I mean, do whatever you want, but don't ask me to acknowledge your weirdness. I'm, I'm not angry about that. I'm just saying that's the fact. God made me to be a man, and when I get in trouble is when I reject the fact that God made me to be a man. And a woman gets in trouble when she rejects the fact God made her to be a woman. When we desire something God didn't give us, we call that covetousness, we call that a lot of things, that moves into many areas of our life, but today we're just talking about manhood and womanhood. And so the very first thing we have to do is that God made me to be a man, and therefore I need to be the best man I can be, Right? Uh, okay, I, I, I may have lost some people. I didn't mean to, but, but, but I want you to understand it is the cause of sexual confusion when we don't decide to be what God made us to be. We're different, but we're not unequal. God made Adam and Eve. We can't even comprehend what man was supposed to be before the fall because we're fallen. But they weren't to be non-equal, yet... This is a term that has gotten twisted, misused, and is no longer understood. Well, that's my helpmate or helpmeet, we, we say. Uh, the King James says a helper meet for him, right? So we call, a man calls his wife his helpmeet. Well, what does that mean? What is a meet? M-E-E-T. That is an old English word, not old English, but it is an English word from that era that means fitting, and what the Bible is saying is God saw a man and said it's not good for man to be alone. And so he needs a helper. So I will make for him a helper that is fit for him. I, I, a wise older man explained this to me. He said it's like a pair of scissors. If you took a one side you had a pinking shear. And I do know what that is. Ladies. For the guys that don't know, that's when you, it's, a, it's scissors that when you cut, it makes a, a, a pointed, jagged edge. That's called pinking shears. If you did that and put a pruning shear on the other side, it's not going to work so well. It's not a helper fit. And God made men and women to fit together to get God's will accomplished. That's why we get married, young people that aren't. You don't get married because she's pretty or he's cute. I knew an older couple, and, and the lady was, you know, nice. And somebody asked her, why did you marry Craig? Because Craig, he wasn't that good looking. He's kind of goofy. And she said, well, he didn't have a lot of money. He wasn't good looking, but he made me laugh. 
And then she said, I don't find him that funny anymore. (laughs) They're still married. They're doing great. God made a woman to be a helper fit for the man. A helper that is meat for the man. Fitting, productive, able to accomplish God's will. To get the job done. And God calls us into cooperation. If those two sides of the scissors are at odds with one another, the job won't get done, will it? Will it? Amen. And so God made a man to be a man. And when a man acts like a woman, it doesn't work so well. When a woman wants to take the man's responsibility, it doesn't work so well. We'll get more into that. By the way, we're having this men's retreat coming this weekend. If you haven't heard anything about it, sign up out there. We're going to be talking about biblical manhood this coming weekend at the retreat. Friday night, Saturday morning. You can go out there and check on that later. But, but anyhow, we're to be fit for one another. And here's something that I learned or heard that great theologian uh, Burt Reynolds say. Um, Somebody asked Burt Reynolds, you know, you, uh, about manhood, you know, like he, because he always played tough guy roles and all that. And you were a tough guy, you know, a man's man. And when did you, you know, understand? And he said, I'm from the South. And in the South, you're not a man until your daddy tells you you're a man. I never forgot that. But what he stumbled into, whether by culture or teaching or he understood it, he may have understood it is a lot of the confusion we see today in society, whether it's, they now call it gender dysphoria, meaning I'm not sure what I am. I'll tell you what it's caused by. Men not being men. Because I'll tell you, my daughters are beautiful. And if you don't think so, I'll knock you out. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) It's an objective standard. They are very beautiful girls. (laughs) When my daughter was little, we had a shallow well, and and the pipe broke in the, and I couldn't, I didn't know what size it was, and I needed to know the exact right size, because we were going to have to dig up the pipe to fix it, and it was a shallow well, the water was about 30 feet down, but you just moved the lid, and I couldn't get down low enough to see the pipe, and my daughter was about 8 or 9 or 10, I said, Savannah, come here. I said, I'm going to hold you by your ankles. I want you to read. And I held her by her ankles down in a well, and she read that to me. They can hunt. They can fish. They can camp. They can dress up. One of them was the homecoming queen. You know why? They both married strong men. I mean strong men. And they're as feminine as they can be. They can do all those things. They can cook. They can do all that mess. I like to think it's because they had a daddy who loved them, protected them, and took care of them. You'll see that's part of being a man. My son, I never told my daughters, you're great. But I can tell you this, my daughters, their mother's approval means everything to them. You're a good mom. You cook so well. You do that. Man, I can see them like, really, might you think so? Thank you. It means something to them to get the approval of their mother. And it means something to them when I say, I'm so proud of you. You're such a good wife. You're such a good helper. You're such a good... Because I'm telling you, they don't take a back seat. They can, they can be in charge. They're, they're tough girls. Y'all are quiet. I wanted to give my son a letter when he turned 21. And when he turned 21, 
there was a lot going on. But when he turned 22, I was able to write the letter, and I'm not going to read it to you. But I do want to read this conclu- the last paragraph I wrote to you. I ask God to give me enough time here to see with the eyes of flesh my children walking as adults. I pray I will get to see you take many of the next steps of life. And by the way, he was dating a girl. They weren't yet married. They married the next spring. Um, but he had not yet gotten married. But we knew her name already. And he turned 23 last, uh, just this past Friday. But if God does not so will, I can leave this mortal veil with joy. For the most important task of my life is done. I've seen my daughters grow into godly women and marry godly men who are the perfect match and partner for them and bear children that I trust they will raise to be godly men and women. I trust God is leading you to the right partner in this life journey. But most importantly, I say with confidence and joy, my son is a man. I am at peace. With all my love as a father and all my admiration as a man. And I signed it. Friend, that's what our kids need. And you can't give that to them unless you're a man and a woman. Not, and by the way, I meant if you're a man, if you're a man. If you're a woman, if you're a woman. They need that strength. They need that knowledge that we are content with God's roles and responsibilities and what he created me to be. And if I'm not comfortable being me, then how are they going to be comfortable being who God made them to be? God doesn't make mistakes and he doesn't make junk. Right? And so no matter what that child who's born looks like, acts like, what its potential is, it's made in the image of God and deserves that chance. I... I, I'm, thank you for putting that up. I forgot to make There it is. God made two sexes. That's all. There is no third. That's all there is. And now listen. I, am I the perfect dad? By far I'm not. I mean, one of the hardest days of my life is sit down with my son and say, Son, let me tell you how your dad has blown it. And to confess to him sin that I'd committed. Because I needed him to know That dad's not perfect, but dad is willing to admit his fault. And I needed his forgiveness as a father. That I didn't want him to go through life wondering about his dad. That I said, I own up to this. This is what I've done, and I want you to understand that. He's like, dad, everybody mess up. Just, you know, I'm good, I'm good. Because he's not the kind of likes to talk a lot. And he he certainly doesn't. He's he's antisocial. But anyway, we'll get to that later. No, not really. He's a good kid, but, but that's what we need. So I just want to talk a little bit about biblical manhood. Our time's pretty much gone. I'm not going to go into as much detail as I hoped I would. But here's, here are like maybe five things, suggestions. This is what God wants for a man. I got uh, a five for, for the ladies as well. I believe only five, yes. Uh, and then, so here it is. A man, first of all, he's got to have self-control. And uh, you want to write down, uh, you want time to write everything I'm about to say. But you got to control your urges and appetites. In First Thessalonians, it talks about controlling. God, did God make us to be, uh, I, I'm not sure all of our audience in here, I'm being careful how I say this, but he made me to be a man, and being a man, I, I'm attracted to the opposite sex, but he 
called me to control that, right? You see, it's not an issue of whether you're attracted as a man to men or women. It's, do I control that? A man could be attracted to the wrong thing, but as long as he doesn't act on it, he, you get my point? Even if you want to give up that argument, God has called us to purity. You see? And if your urge is going to cause you to fulfill that urge in a sinful way, then you can never fulfill it. And that's for our own sake and our own health and our own. And so, so you got to understand. So I'm called to control my urge and my appetite. The Bible says, in, and by the way, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 is that. But the Bible says in Proverbs, a, a man who can control his spirit is mightier than the man who can take a city. The guy that can have self-control. I, I, I love to watch sports. And you see those guys, if a guy looks at them wrong, they go off. And you see those guys that get punched and look at that and go, hey, good job, man, and just walk off. He controls that. Because if you lose control in life, then you can't act in, with, with the way God wants you to act. He wants us to respond, uh, not react. He wants us to know what we're doing. So we have to control ourselves. I, I can't go deep in any of this. I'll, I'll be here all day. We have to overcome our temptations. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. He will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Our temptation may be not to act like a man, but we have to. Not in self-control, we should not twist Scripture to get our own desires. In Mark 7, 8, and 9, Jesus condemns the Pharisees. He says, you take the Scripture and you twist it so you don't have to take care of your parents. And that's wrong. And so, so many men will twist scripture. And in fact, this Ephesians 5 is one they twist. You're supposed to submit to me. Well, you're supposed to love me to the point of death. Is what the woman could respond. The men have a bigger and more important, and not more important, but a bigger and even tougher role. We're supposed to give up our physical life for our wife. And that doesn't just mean, well, if anybody tries to shoot you, I'll try to stop them. No, that means that I die to myself daily. I give up my life for her. I, God is called called me to serve her. How did Christ love the church? Did he come and say, well, I'm here. Y'all going to be the church. Now y'all take care of me. No. He gave up his life to redeem the church. And so God has called us as men to do that for our wives. And so, so we're the ones that are supposed to take that extra mile. And we're not to desire our own preferences. In, in Proverbs 14, 12, it says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is the ways of death. And so we're to see God's preferences. That's just self-control. Provision. God is made harder by the fall because men sin. God said, okay, work's going to get harder. And we work very hard to make very little now. God had designed it. All Adam had to do was hang out in the garden and pick fruit. There was no weeds. There was, it grew fine. There was, uh, Donna was talking about seasons. There weren't even seasons before the flood. I don't have time to do a science thing, but you read carefully any new, oh, we found this skeleton, we found this thing, this, this fossil. It'll always say it used to be a tropical region. it also say it used to be underwater. I wonder why. They're so blind, they can't see the truth when it looks down. But anyway, in the Garden of Eden, it was perfect, and he blew it. Well, actually, his wife ate him out of house and home, but I'm kidding. 
And so God says to Adam, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow now. You're going to going to weed the garden. Now you've you got to kill the, the things that are going to choke out the food. And notice in 1 Timothy 5 verse 9, the God calls us to support the widows and orphans. It does not say support the widowers. Ever notice that? We're to provide for our own family, 1 Timothy 5 8. If you don't provide for your own family, you're worse than an infidel, the Bible says. A guy that can work that won't work is worse than an infidel. Protection. He God calls us to protect. We have to be willing to lay down our life. Ephesians 5.25. It's right there in the text that I read. We won't get into it very much. But I'm called to protect my wife. Now, my wife's worried about that since we've been married. Because I'm not that big. <laughs> but there's more than one way to protect, right? That's emotional protection. Socially, economically. There's a lot of protection. And I ought to fight to protect. In Nehemiah 4, as they're building the wall, and their enemy was coming against them, Nehemiah said, arm yourself, and don't be afraid of them, and fight for your wives and your children and your land and your family. I don't get pacifist. Because the Bible directs us to fight to protect. Not fight to conquer, fight to protect. And so we're called to do that. There's also spiritual protection in Genesis 3. Adam was responsible for Eve. And again, I don't understand that fully, but God held him accountable for not stopping Eve. And that's in Genesis 3. And in 1 Peter 3, 7, he says we're to honor our wives, to understand we're dwelling, we're living with her as the weaker vessel. And, and, and there's a lot involved in that we don't have time to get into. But it's not that you, you are, most, in most cases, physically weaker. But... But to honor my wife as the one that he's given me to take care of. Okay? And so that is more than physical again, but it is also physical. A man is called to serve and to lead. We're to serve others. John 13. What did Jesus say after he washed the disciples' feet? Just like I've washed your feet, you wash each other's feet. God's called us to serve one another. When I see a brother overtaken in a fault... If I'm spiritual, I'm to restore Sichuan in a spirit of humility. I'm not to go jump on him, attack him, tear him down further. I'm supposed to bring him back to that right relationship with God as best as I can. He's got to cooperate, obviously, because the guy's not willing. He's not willing. Did I tell you all about helping train lifeguards before? Because I'm a poor swimmer. And they just said, fight back. And they were training the lifeguards to let me drown. When you fight, when lifeguard comes save you and you're in deep water, try to calm down. Because they'll kick you away and watch you drown and then drag you in and try to resuscitate you. Because that's the only thing they can do because they don't want to drown with you. And so, anyway, I don't get all the way there. Uh, I, I, I am to serve other people, but if they're not willing to have that restoration, there's not much I can do. But that's my call. That's what I'm supposed to do. Serve others. Even before the fall, we were called to do that. But... Adam named Eve. Don't forget that. He went, oh boy. No, that's not what he said when he saw her, but I think he did. But he he said, I am man and you are woe man. That's what it's, it's right there on the bathroom door. Whoa, man, don't go in there. Um, (laughs)
You know, I'm of Scottish heritage, and I did mistakenly go in the wrong bathroom one time. It said laddies right there on the door. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, bad joke. Ish is the Hebrew word for man. Isha is the Hebrew word for woman. I may be mispronouncing it, and Kareem will fix me later if I did. But Ish and Isha, man, woman, for she's taken out of man. Part of man. I'm to serve. I'm to lead. Protect what God has given. And then a man is to follow. Who's he to follow? He's to follow God. Proverbs 1, 7 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I'm to follow God's commands. I'm to have a relationship with God. Micah 6, 8. You might want to write that down. might take you a little while to find Micah because it's a, a, a tiny book uh, here in the sea of tiny books. And now I had it earlier. I should have marked it uh, because I'm having trouble getting to it too. But it says, oh, here it is. I got it. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. We are called to follow God, to follow His commands. And humility acknowledges imperfections. I already gave you the illustration. I even went to my son. I've gone to my wife. I've said, look, I blew it. I don't say, listen, I'm the man. What I say goes no matter what. No. I, I can blow it, and so can you. And, and humility acknowledges that I'm not perfect, but... Hopefully, I keep trying it. And we accept Christ. We follow Christ. He is our leader. And I have a continual dependence on God. Hebrews 13, 15. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 7. That, that I throw all my cares and my anxieties on Him. And I follow Him. And I depend on Him. I don't say, I've got the answer. I say, only He has the answer. And I follow His. And then I study and learn what God's will is. Re- Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you can prove the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. All right? How about the ladies? Let me, let me give the ladies. And Proverbs 31 is, is kind of the classic uh, thing about, about the women. And uh, in 1 Peter 3, it also talks about how women are to not have their beauty just being outward, but it, it to be inward. I don't know how much TV and pop culture you absorb, but how many of y'all have heard of the Kardashians? How many of you have ever seen, um, what is that girl's name? I've lost every, Joanna Gaines, the, the Magnolia House, they, they renovate houses. Not as many, but I saw a little blurb on that that says, in a world of Kardashians, be Joanna Gaines. She's a Christian woman, beautiful physically, sure, but the beauty is coming from inside, Christian couple. Serving the Lord in an amazing way. Television stars, and they have never owned a television. (laughs) It's kind of funny. And so, what does a woman do in Proverbs 31? Let me sum them up for you a little bit. Since I'm not a woman, you might not want to listen. But if you will read it carefully, you will catch these. I don't have the exact verses written down beside it. But she encourages. It says she honors and respects her husband. And here in Ephesians, it says to the wives, respect your husband. You know why? Because we need the respect... Because we know what we are. John Eldridge says in his book about manhood that all men are posers. We all know that we are just pretending. That we really aren't what we claim or try to show that we are. 
And biblical manhood understands that and says, I'm not everything that God's made me to be, but I'm striving for the perfection that's in Christ. Right? And a woman respects and encourages that. Behind every successful man is a woman that made it necessary. I mean, that made it possible. I, I just know this for a fact. A woman can tear down her husband or she can build him up. It's up to her. Uh, we need you. And that's part of us being vulnerable and saying, I do need you. And so oh, she encourages her husband, talks about her husband being honored in the gate because of her. That when he sits among the elders of the land, they go, man, dude, you are one lucky dude. I know. Because of her. Not because of him, because of her. My sister, when I was single, taught me, said, if you can get a date with a girl, more girls will be interested in you because they'll figure you're not as bad as they thought you were. <laughs> if she saw something in you, maybe there's something there. I've always been surprised when any girl likes any guy, I can promise you. A girl, a woman, this woman nurtures, she feeds and clothes her family. It talks about her harvesting. It talks about her spinning the material that she makes the outfits out of. I know none of y'all going to sit at home and spin your own material. I get that. But, but the fact is that she was involved in clothing and feeding her family. She was industrious. She invested her skills in her personal business. My, my, our middle daughter just opened a, a little shop on Etsy uh, making little baby dresses because she made some for her daughter we asked her, said, what made you do that? She said, well, I made some for Leila. And, and said, and then my friends went, ooh, I want one, I want one. And she said, you know, come, coming from us, she goes, okay, you can pay me for it. And so she made some. So she made this little Etsy shop where she, because she doesn't work. She's got an education. She's got a college degree. Earned it in three years, but she doesn't work because she's got children and she takes care of them. And so she's doing something because now she can. She's an industrious, investing her skills in a personal business, just like the woman in Proverbs 31. I'm not saying it's wrong for a woman to work. I'm not saying every woman ought to come home from work. I'm just saying that's what my daughter's doing. Uh, a wo- this woman is wise and kind. She speaks wisely and kindly to other people. She, she has gentle speech with, with strangers. She takes care of strangers. Um, and then lastly, she's modest. She dresses in an attractive and modest way. Because everybody goes, again, those elders are going, you're one lucky dude. In verse 25, it says, strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, teaching kindness, uh, uh, the teaching of kindness on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. By the way, men, there's something for us. We ought to praise our woman, and I'll tell you this. Just as I said, a woman can make or break a man, a husband can make or break a woman. Whenever a man comes and tells me how horrible his wife is, I always ask him, what kind of husband has she had to turn her into such a beast? I'm not saying they're not bad women, because there are. There's an apocryphal story, and, and I can't do it justice. But it was a place where 
you paid cows to get your wife, like, I'll trade you. My mother-in-law, the mission, she went on a missions trip to Africa, and the mission leader was offered five cows for her. And then I went to that same place in Africa and found out that really meant something to those people. They worshiped their cows. It was like, that was a big deal. But she's already married, and they told her, no, that's not going to work out. But um, anyway, or, or else my mother-in-law lived in Africa, I guess. But anyway, uh, I didn't mean to even say that. It just came out. Um, but the story's told in this, this, there was this girl in the village, and she was not attractive at all. Not in an, any objective standard. And a, a, a good woman would get maybe two cows, poor woman would get one cow, really beautiful woman would get three cows. This guy goes to her father and says, I want to give you ten cows for your daughter. Least attractive woman in the whole area. I mean, where I'm from, we had a, my wife's not from where I'm from, before I say this. Because we had a beauty contest where I'm from, and nobody won. That, that, was, <laughs> that was this girl, okay? And the guy offered ten cows. And everybody said, is, her father said, are you crazy? She's, only worth, she's not even worth one cow. Why are you doing that? No, she's worth ten cows. And the end of the story, she became the most beautiful woman in the village. Because of what her husband thought of her. So I, I throw that in there back on the guys. I pick on the guys a lot more than the women, by the way. One of my favorite verses about all this, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I grew up with a young lady. She grew up to be a, an attractive girl. I have to be careful I say all that, but she was pretty, objectively speaking. She was a pretty girl. And I was a single pastor uh, in, in where I grew up, and, uh, and, and so the little ladies had constant prayer meetings to find me a wife, and, uh, and I appreciated that, but it was funny. So one night, uh, we were having Sunday night service, and the back door opened, and it was just a single-room building, you know, Sunday school rooms on the side, and, and she walked, and, and I was like, oh, hey, you know, good to see you. And so after church, I said, hey, you want to go to Shoney's, which is where you went on Sunday nights if you were a Christian back then. And I uh, said, so sure. So, so we went out to Shoney's. If you don't know what Shoney's was, don't worry about it. But uh, we went to Shoney's, and on the way back, I said, man, you had the little old lady's tongues a-wagging tonight. She said, what? I said, man, they had a prayer meeting after I left, and I wasn't kidding. I, I said, literally, they had a prayer meeting. She said, what about? I said, I said, are you kidding me? I said, anytime a beautiful young woman walks in that church... They go to praying that I'll find a wife. And out of all that, she got, you think I'm pretty? <laughs> Women got that. Men are like, oh, really? Duh. <laughs> and I said, absolutely. But you know what the Bible says? Because, see, I knew her life. I knew that she was a nominal Christian, but she was not walking with the Lord. She said, what? I said, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that fears God, she shall be praised. She never visited again. <laughs> I'm still friends with her. In fact, her husband just recently died, and, uh, and I just wrote my sympathy to her. But and one other thing, a woman is compassionate. She helps the poor. She helps the poor. She helps those who are less needy. When, when I did meet my wife, it was over a weekend. We were on this retreat. It's a long story. I won't get into it. But I got sick, and... We were in Myrtle Beach, and I lived in Charleston. Janice happened to live in Charleston at the same time. We met that weekend. We both, you know, felt it and uh, knew that, hey, this is... And I, I knew I was going to marry her, but I wasn't crazy enough to tell her that. But I got sick, and I had the medicine to fix it, but I knew that if I took the medicine, I couldn't drive because I was going to be knocked out. 
And so I called my family and I said, hey, can y'all drive up here to Myrtle Beach, pick me up, because I'm sick, I'm going to take this medicine, it's going to knock me out, sure, we'll come. And we're on Myrtle Beach, did I say that? So I said, okay, so I took the medicine, I've already checked out of the hotel, I'm sitting in the lobby, and Janice sat in the lobby with me. The other 30 people at that conference went, oh, sorry, you feel bad, we're going to the beach, and she took off, and they took off. And I'm sitting there, and I snored anyway, but now I'm on drugs, and I'm really snoring. And so she told me, because I was unconscious, people come through the lobby, she'd go, he's sick, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. So when I came to and got my senses back, I said, I can't believe you sat with me through that. And, and I thought she was going to say, well, you know, I, I just feel an attraction to you, and I just feel God's moving. <laughs> what she said was, I'd do that for any dog on the street. What do you mean? <laughs> And if you think I'm kidding, you can ask her later. That's literally what she said. But you know what I learned? That's a compassionate woman right there. We've had Tavon in our house. We've had Brian live with us. We've had David come and stay with us. We've had Donna come live with us. Because they were in need. And so we tried to help that need. Not because of me, because of her. right? Okay. Well, that's just some basics. We'll get more into how these relate in marriage as we go next week. I won't go on and on and on, but next week we'll cover that. But here's some stuff maybe you could do. First, ask God to reveal where you're weak and teach you to be a godly man or woman. Just accept who God made you to be. I'm telling you, all gender confusion, and I don't like to use the word gender because that only applies to language. It does not apply to physical bodies. You don't have gender, you have sex. You're either a man or a woman. Okay, just to use that term literally. So ask God to make you understand what, where am I weak in being a man? Where am I weak in being a woman? It's not in beauty for the women. It's not in physical strength for the men, even though those things you know, are part of it, but that's not the thing. The thing is, do I have the character to walk with God? Do I have the character to be what God made me to be? And so ask God to reveal that, because I certainly can. I'm, I'm flawed like you. But then develop godly discipline in the areas where you find your weaknesses. Ask God to help you develop discipline and discipline yourself to be strong where you feel weak. And I'll give you a simple technique I know where I, some of my areas where I'm weak. And so I had a counselor one time tell me, here's something you can do. Do you know somebody who is strong in that area? And I sure, and a name popped in my head. So, well, the next time you're faced with that issue, ask yourself, what would he do? And then do that. And I can promise you there are some times where I was not Stuart, I was Frank. And I did what Frank would have done, not what Stuart wanted to do. But even better, how would Christ handle that? Because he's the perfect example, right? And begin to develop discipline to become that person. And then thirdly, decide that you're going to rejoice in being male or female. If you are struggling with that, just thank God you're a man. Thank God you're a woman. And then be the best man or woman you can be in God's will. And I mean that literally, just every day. Not that the other is bad. Just say, God, thank you that I'm a man. And help me to be a man of God today. 
Thank God I'm a woman. Help me to be a woman of God today. And help me to fulfill what you've given me to do here. I think that would help all of us, wouldn't it? And there are people out there that, that have struggles in this area. And legitimate struggles because their parents or whatever society, whatever it is, has messed it up for them. And they don't know quite how to get there. It is our job to love them into godly discipleship. Amen? I don't want anybody leaving here going, that's right, all those people. No. We want to love people into being everything Christ made them to be. And I want to love you into that, and I want you to love me into that. I want you to hold me accountable. That's not what a man of God would do. And I want, I want that help, and I want you to have that help.